Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Well, happy almost Thanksgiving, everyone. So glad you've joined us today. We're finishing up our work in Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness. And I know some of you haven't been here throughout the month. I'll I'll do that two-minute catch-up routine that sometimes a mini-series do on TV. So in episode one that you missed at the beginning of the month, licensed practitioner Marilyn Sprague started us off with the basics. And the basics are that if we want to experience oneness, we also have to have that openness and that willingness to stand in our truth. That it isn't just about conformity to really thrive with a group of people. It's also about standing up for our individuality. So it's that that combination of belonging and being able to stand in our own truth. And we too, we focused on the spiritual crisis really that America is going through right now. We, we talked about sometimes when we stand in our truth, it's at the expense of other people. That's where the, the shouting across the hall happens. That's where our own opinions somehow become so important that we, we soapbox them and try to have our opinion be at the expense of other people. But we also talked about how there is tremendous power in diversity, that actually it isn't until all the voices are heard that the most progress gets done in the world. Last week we talked and we learned to speak of our truth in a way that's kind so that we can stand up for what's true for us, even in the midst of dissension, even when we're the lone voice, and do it in a way that is not confrontive, to do it in a way that's apt actually to get positive input back our way. Well, this week we're going to expand on that a little bit, that idea of being able to do more out in the world. You know, there's always the danger, I think, around the idea of individualism, that as we we become individuals in terms of standing in our authentic power, that it can also be isolating. And so I want to talk about how we can actually bring our individuality out into the world and be a firebrand for bringing people together rather than being separate. Where I want to start is a concept that she mentions towards the end of the book. She calls it collective effervescence. Yes, you heard that right. Collective effervescence. And the idea is it's a way of describing the power that comes from having a shared experience with a group. And so in lieu of my usual joke, allow me to tell you of such an effervescent experience from my youth. So we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, and I don't know about you when you were growing up, but Thanksgiving at my house, big group of people. In fact, it was one of those days when they uh, did their best to clear out the living room and the dining room so that the dining room table could be extended as big as it would get, and then they would stack card tables on the end of it, ideally with seating about 20 to 25 people in one big room. Well, this year was no exception that I'm remembering. I think I was about seven or eight years old, and relatives started coming early. The place was overflowing with people and food, and to the point that at some juncture, they decided to go out to the garage and get this old buffet to put the desserts on. And so it was a piece of furniture, had been used in many years. They brought it in, dusted it off, and that became the dessert table on one side of the table. And uh, dinner was going great. Actually, maybe one minor blip. 
Uncle Russell, my great uncle Russell decided he would come that year. And sometimes my great uncle Russell um, had his issues, as we might say. And this year uh, wasn't an exception to that either. I think he may have stopped for a couple cocktails on his way to dinner. Do you know how sometimes when people have had a couple cocktails, they're just a little louder than usual, just a, a little bit too much of a good thing? Well, he was being just a little bit too much of a good thing, not in an offensive way, but you can tell, you know, that uh, he was not feeling any pain. And, and during the meal, at one point, he got up and went to the bathroom and came out, and I think he decided he was going to kind of hold forth he was going to tell the group of 25 people, you know, how marvelous they were or something like that. But it didn't quite go as expected. He leaned against this old buffet that hadn't been used for 10 years. Yeah, you can see where this is going. And two of the legs gave away. Well, first of all, he hit the floor safely on his bottom. But then, I swear to gosh, it was slow motion. <laughs> One by one, the desserts slid off the edge of the buffet on to, no, well, not, yeah, thanks, so yeah, on him. You were hoping for an even better story, no, just one by one right next to him. And so there was a pecan pie, and then, and then on top of it, a pumpkin pie, and then on top of it, my aunt's bunt cake, and then on top of that, something else. And then, now here the story varies. When I talk to my cousin Leslie, she swears it was a punch bowl. I I think it was a big bowl of fruit salad, but in either case, this enormous bowl of something just slide, 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 whump, right on all of the rest of the desserts, spilling everything out. Stunned silence, I swear. My Uncle Russell, my great Uncle Russell, looks up, looks down at this total disaster smiles and says, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So believe it or not, that is collective effervescence. It is an event or a situation that binds people together, creates a deeper sense of intimacy, usually provides some kind of a, a story or an encounter that will be remembered for years. And of course, that was an example in a family, but we can have experiences like that out in the world as well. You know, it was only a couple years before that particular encounter that we had the the Columbus Day storm down at the beach. So I was born in Newport, Oregon. And although even the folks living up here in Portland, I think had a fair amount of damage, oh my gosh, down at the coast, You have no idea. You know, in a town of uh, 3,000 people in Newport, Oregon, probably over half of them suffered some kind of damage to their homes or properties. We were lucky. We had a, a couple windows that were broken out literally by pine cones with enough force that they went through the glass of our windows. But it tore the roof off of the elementary school I went to. Many people lost the roofs off their homes and so on. And I gotta tell you, this too, another example of this phenomenon called effective effervescence. That town of 3,000 people came together in a way that you wouldn't believe. 
they actually worked out of the VFW hall and they created a system and a bulletin board where people who were, were in need or still out of power would post some of the needs and townspeople were driving around in their pickups and their rigs to provide food and shelter for people who needed it. Crews of young men with hammers and nails and tar paper were, were patching up roofs as best they can. It was amazing. And people that you didn't even know, right? Now, you might think in a small town, well, everybody knew everybody. Not really to that level of intimacy, though. And there was still the sense of the people who had and maybe the sense of people who had not, the people who were better off or the people who were poor. All that just went out the window. We were collectively experience a sense of unity that I still remember to this day. I still remember going down to the VFW hall with my dad and we went to a a trailer park about a mile outside of town and worked all day putting black sheeting and tar paper over some of the trailers that had uh, lost the integrity and water was coming into people's homes. I will still remember that. It's that collective effervescence. Well, I'm not here to suggest that we need World War III to bring us together as a country, right? There are some elements of this effective effervescence. We don't need a disaster, and I wouldn't wish a disaster on us, but doesn't it feel like we we need something like that to bring us together as a people again, to begin looking beyond our differences as important and rally around something that is important to everybody? I think this is possible. I don't think that we need a natural disaster. First of all, there are a number of global issues right now that would probably absolutely bring this sense of togetherness for you. Whether you wanted to work on the new and emerging civil rights work that's being done right now, whether you wanted to work on the global warming issues that are are literally forcing many communities out of their their home territories, whether you wanted to, to work on other elements of what's going on disastrously in the world, what you would discover is a group of people probably unlike you, people that you might never have met before, ever worked before, but that idea of working towards a common goal, that idea of doing something so selflessly together, oh my gosh, the level of intimacy and connection that that would provide you, truly amazing. I also want to tell you another story, a more personal story, something that perhaps you can do on a smaller scale yourself. So some of you probably know that I enjoy the Disney theme parks, and my my partner Daniel and I have been to a number of times to Orlando, to Walt Disney World there, and always have a good time. And in fact, we've gone often enough that they send us little emails now and then. Oh, you need to come this week. It's 25% off. Or, uh, or if you stay on the property, we'll make such a good deal for you. Well, a few years ago, it really did seem like an amazing good deal. And so we figured our schedules out. And without too much notice, we went to Walt Disney World. Well, we discovered probably why the discount. It was the end of June And I have never been so hot (laughs) in my life. It was in the 90s every single day we were there. And I don't know about you, but there's something about the humidity in Florida when it's hot 
that just has you exhausted. I mean, by the time you get up and kind of get ready to go to the theme park, you're like, oh, is, is it over now? <laughs> but, you know, we're intrepid. I wanted to see the, the Mount Everest adventure. It was a new part of the, the park in the animal kingdom that had, had opened. It was a new ride. What was cool about it was it, it was the pretend was you were on Mount Everest. And I thought, well, if nothing else, everything will look cold. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The, on the loudspeakers, it's the sound of a cold wind blowing and everything is white snow. And, and I thought, well, this will be perfect. I mean, on a hot day, we can pretend we're on Mount Everest. So we get there and we get in line. And because it's a new attraction, they have a little sign out there that says your average wait time. It was like over an hour. It was well over an hour. And we thought, well... We're here, you know, what are you going to do? So we get in line, just insufferably hot, and they do their best. They honestly do. They have little misting stations ever so often, and there were fans. But, but I got to tell you, when it's 95 degrees out and 98% humidity and a fan is on you, it feels like you're in a convection oven. <laughs> so we were not doing very well. The other thing about it, at the end of June, of course, it's packed with children. Absolutely packed with children. And on a hot day with children in a stroller, it was not the happiest place on earth. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could just lie and say that all the families were having a wonderful time, but so many of those children needed their naps. So very many of them were not <laughs> enjoying that heat. Anyway, we persist. We're in line. We're almost up to the place where you actually get on the ride, and it breaks down. <laughs> After being in line for nearly an hour, they're closing the ride for the day. And I got to tell you, some of the people in those strollers had strong words to say about this, right? We went from the happiest place on planet to some people who were really, really angry. The combination of the heat and the combination of waiting in line and then the ride shutting down. There were about 150 people in the line, maybe more than that, because the line was significant, just told to go. And people were asking for fast passes and things to get, but well, we don't know. It may not even open up today, you know. You'll just have to try your luck on some other ride. People were very unhappy. So right next door to this is a fake Everest cafe pretending to serve Yeti food and uh, as though you're in Nepal or something like that. And I, so I elbow Daniel and I say, well, let's... Let's not try to get on another ride. Let's just have a nice meal. We'll have some pretend Nepalese food, whatever that might be. Sadly, the story does not get better. We were never to actually have the Nepalese food. We put in our order, and then whatever had gone wrong with the ride, they had to shut the power off to that whole part of the park. So here we are with about 500 other people who had already been shuttled next door from the ride that didn't work anymore, hoping for a cool drink and some food. Everything's mechanized. We couldn't even get a cool drink because the machines are off power, right? So they couldn't even give us a drink. And I got to tell you, people were starting to plot a revolution <laughs> in that little restaurant. 
it actually was starting to scare me a little bit in terms of, well, what's going to happen? And that is when this amazing woman, she was probably about four foot 11, a very diminutive but kind of stocky, bulky woman, got up on the bar, the serving bar, and she had a little tag. She was in her uniform. She worked there, right? And she was, had a little tag that had her name, and it said, like, Indiana, because there they, they have little tags that say where everyone is from, you know, a way of introducing people. But she was in character, right? This was supposed to be Nepal. And so she, it was funny though, because I don't think she knew anything about Nepal, probably, but she had invented a story for her character. And so although she was speaking in something that sounded halfway like Transylvanian and Irish, <laughs> she, she had this funny accent that she put on and she began to tell a story of life in the old country. Totally made up, of course. But she stood on this bar and she began to talk and she did a little dance at one point and she talked about coming over on the sailing boat that brought her to America and what it was like working at Disney and, and how all the people in the kitchen were there out of love and, and oh my gosh, within about five minutes we wanted to work there. <laughs> in the heat... In the no electricity, she charmed us. Now think about this for a moment. Again, we have one of those effervescent group experiences. But do you notice how it could have been the worst day I ever spent at a theme park? And instead, one person, one extraordinary person, had the presence of mind to do something a little different. I want to be that person. I want to be able to look in the face of things gone horribly wrong and be the one that tells the funny story. I want to be sitting on the floor when all the pies are sitting next to me with a big smile and say, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And what I know is that each one of us has the power, not only for ourselves personally, but for the people and the groups and the family organizations, all of those places we're in the middle of a sea of people, we have that same power to make a difference because it's just our heart that's involved. It's just recognizing that we all have that namaste spirit, that the, the God in me honors, loves, cherishes the God in you that each of us has that unique power to, to bring about one of these effervescent experiences. Now, how can we do that on a smaller scale? One of the ways, have you noticed that families almost always have family traditions? I know one of, uh, one of my family traditions around the holidays is for years and years we've taken the, the nephews and niece to, to see the zoo lights every year. And I figured, you know, by the time they got to be teenagers, like, well, they wouldn't be interested in that anymore. Guess where they wanted to go in their graduating year from high school? Can we go to zoo lights, Right? It's like we can actually build these kind of experiences ourselves. And you can probably tell I'm leading a bit into the homework. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> but your homework for this holiday season 
is to check in on your own family rituals. It's one of the places where we get that collective effervescence. It's one of the places where we deepen our connection to the people that we care about. And it's also a place where we can invite new people into the tribe, right? One of the things I loved about our Zulite tradition was we would always invite additional people. The kids were always invited to to bring their friends along too. A way of making a tradition more than just the people you normally hang out with. So that is my suggestion for homework for, for this week or beyond. Are there little things that you might do around some of your family traditions that would include more people, include more opinions, include people that are maybe a little different than you so that you can get a different perspective on life? And for those of you who maybe don't have family traditions, maybe this is the year to start. Maybe it's time to to think of something interesting that a group of people, they don't even need to be family members, right? It could be people from church. It could be people you know from work. It could be the neighbors on your block. One of the, the traditions that I've started on my block is around Halloween. I discovered that a number of the neighbors uh, uh, enjoy Halloween as a holiday. And so we pumpkinize the neighborhood every year. And, and it's fun because some of the neighbors I never even knew. And, and, and so the neighbor right across the street who enjoys Halloween probably as much as we do. We buy a bunch of pumpkins and we started just putting them on people's porches when they weren't home. And now the whole neighborhood's in on the joke, right? And it's surprising because I've gotten to know the neighbors. You know, we've lived there for probably five or six years and other than the one neighbor across the street, we really didn't know our neighbors. I mean, we knew like their names and that was it. Pumpkinization has done the trick. (laughs) We now know all of our neighbors. So that's homework for you. Can you create a collective effervescence? One of those situations, one of those ways of being, one of those traditions, one of those uh, being with other peoples that will deepen the intimacy and allow your heart and the hearts of everyone involved to open. Hopefully I've given you some ideas around that. So today we've talked about the idea of collective effervescence. It's a result of a shared experience. It can be positive or negative. Of course, I'm voting for the positive ones. We don't need to create a disaster at the Thanksgiving dinner table in order to pull this off. But what we notice is that it happens during something dramatic, something memorable that you can create yourself. We also talked about creating your own experiences of collective effervescence, either by collaborating with other people on a cause, by creating a family tradition, by perhaps expanding an existing family tradition to include additional people. The purpose, of course, is to expand our connections, to expand our ability to be with other people in a way that becomes meaningful and deep. Well, I'm going to close today with a quote from the book and a prayer. She says, Collective effervescence is an experience of connection, communal emotion, and a sensation of true sacredness. It happens when we are part of something bigger than just us as individuals. These experiences contribute to a life filled with a sense of meaning, increased positive effect, an increased sense of social connection, 
and decreased loneliness, all essential components of a healthy and happier life. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is only this thing, and we're, we're of course, connected to all of the various pieces of it because we are of it. I know that's true for me. I know it's true for everyone, that each of us, an individualized center of spirit, yes, but also part of the whole, also an integral and connected part of every other part. And so this idea of collective effervescence is on my mind as I enter into the holiday spirit, as I begin planning my plans for Thanksgiving and beyond, I, I recognize that as I invite more people, as I connect with more people, as I provide that foundation for getting to know one another better, that deepening, that increased intimacy, that this ripples out into the world. It creates a, a bond. It creates a connection that goes well beyond just the people in my own home and in my own family. It really begins to create a world that works for everyone. And so for this, I give thanks for this, I recognize the spirit in all. I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.